Previously on Kumpf Origins. Tex Walker, a shadowy figure, uh, uh, recruited Tex Walker to steal the Shinbone of Spirit. Uh, Nat Fife, who works for the uh, uh, AFL Big Wigs, is then hired to go work out who stole the Shinbone of Spirit. He recruits his draft brother, Ben Cunnington. Uh, they travel to a, an island somewhere or something. They see Tex Walker uh, go into a cave. They find the AFL are trying to imbue the Shinbone of Spirit to the Brownlow to make their best players even better. But someone is running interference. And as they discover that information... Kane Twerp Corns turns up with his henchman Toby Green and that's where our story continues for one million dollars I couldn't have named one of those things well the hard part is going to be remembering the voices I feels like it was 20 years ago to me (laughs) it was I can't even remember when we stopped Doing, I think we just abandoned it as we got close to finals because... No, I think it, we just finished the season and we there was still comp fiction up our sleeve. Uh, okay, so <laughs> if the voices are a little different, I apologise because yep. I can't remember. Uh, but the story picks up now. So just to set the scene, Will, so you've got Ben Cunnington and Nat Fife there uh, uh, with Brad Scott uh, and the Shinbone of Spirit Brownlow or something like that or some kind of token item totem thing and Kane Corns and Toby Green stand in the doorway by uh, the way me listening to this will be like me watching American Gods I really like what's going on I understand her about a third of it <laughs> okay Nat nervously looked between Ben Brad and Kane his brain frantically trying to churn through all the new information he'd just learnt mm. It was as if someone had shaken up his moral compass so he no longer knew which direction to go. On one hand, the power board had always treated him well and he was still one of their agents. But on the other hand, he had his draft brother, Ben, and this new knowledge of the dodgy dealings the power board had been making with North Melbourne. It all seemed far too complicated a story involving Nat Fife, for a story involving Nat Fife and Ben Cunnington. Ah, nice little meta joke there. Good, because I am also confused. <laughs> it's good. That's like that bit in Tenet where the scientist, uh, you, you haven't seen haven't it, but the scientist it. basically just looks at the screen and says, don't try to work it out, just enjoy it. <laughs> All Nat wanted was his moral, comp- was his moral compass to find which yep. way was north. And Do Nat- you think that Nat Fife has in this story a literal moral compass? Does he carry around a compass that is his moral compass? Because it really feels like... It would be like a Hugo Boss compass. A Hugo Boss moral compass pendant. diamond encrusted <laughs> diamond encrusted Hugo Boss moral compass pendant Nat wanted for his all Nat wanted was for his moral compass all to blood f- diamonds <laughs> all, all Nat wanted was for his moral compass to find which way was north and that's when it clicked yeah. north north shouted Nat yeah. what said Ben north north is north like you know north Melbourne that's the direction I need to go agent Fife said Kane what on earth are you talking about just grab the damn spirit no can do, twerpy, said Nat. My moral compass has found its north, which is North <laughs> Melbourne. The spirit is staying with us. Could you now refer to it as his diamond encrusted, his <laughs> blood, blood diamond encrusted Hugo Boss moral, moral compass. compass? He turned his head towards Cunnington and flashed that stunning smile, causing one to appear on Ben's face as well. 
Fine, I don't need you anyway, said Kane. Agent Green, you know what to do. As quickly as the order was given, Toby Green sprang into action. He launched off the ground in a single stride, his right leg outstretched, aimed straight for Fife's heart. Cunnington, recognising what was about to happen, dived in front of Fife, taking the full impact of Green's kick straight to the chest. His body fell heavily to the floor. Unmoving, his freshly grown hair now scattered across the floor. Oh no. Kicked his fucking fucking hair out. (laughs) (laughs) Fife became paralysed with shock. Allowing Green to swipe the spirit from Scott and escape. It's a beautiful the door. story, though, isn't it? About a man who was willing to give up his own vanity to save, to save the life his of his, his best mate, brother. his draft brother. What a great story. Ben remained still on the ground. Suddenly, Scott was standing before Fife, attempting to shake him into action. Nat, Nat, you big idiot. Quick, we don't have much time. Uh, what do you mean? stammered Fife, as he continued to stare at his lifeless draft brother. Oh, so Ben's dead. You Brownlows. They're all that can save him now, said Scott. The shin bone of spirit that flows within them can restore his life. (laughs) If you break one in half and feed the spirit to him, then he will live. If you break both, you bring back his hair. (laughs) Oh my God. So what we're in now is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, a territory where if you get the Holy Grail, you can bring... You can stop Sean Connery from dying. That's what I think the inspiration is. Well, also, what I love about this is that Nat Fife has the option to save his draft buddy. But he also has the option of breaking his second Brownlow medal yeah. to bring back his hair. Well, now, if you're it? Nat 5, yeah. do you still keep... You're like, well, I saved his fucking life. He can go back to advanced hair and get some more hair. I don't need to break my second Brownlow to get this job. Or, or do you just go, I'm here for my mate, and when he comes back to life, I want him to not panic that he doesn't have a full head of hair. I feel like this is a plant. Like they're planting information here because in any good story... Like the hair was planted on... No, but the hero is, the hero is uh, confronted with a situation mm-hmm. in which he balks at what the right moral choice is, but yep. then later in the film when he finds his strength, you know, he'll break the second okay. That's my prediction. Yep. Fife looked down at his medals, which somehow always managed to find a ray of sunlight to shine in, a bit like Nat Fife. He really enjoyed the clinking sound they made when they bounced off one another. He wasn't sure if he's ready to let that go. Mm. He'd worked so hard to get them. He had earned them. It was a tough decision, but he knew what he had to do. Um, I'll give him one so he yeah. can live, said Nat. <laughs> but not both. He played better without the hair anyway. <laughs> Removing one of his prized brows. I hadn't even brought in. All I'd brought in was the moral reasoning around he can get them replaced at advanced hair. I hadn't brought in some other extra moral reasoning, which is no... I'm actually doing him a favour. <laughs> <laughs> Removing one of his prized brownlows from his neck, Fife proceeded to snap it in half, revealing the shin bonus spirit that laid inside. Podcast Mark, if you want to put like some harp music or something, I think that's, you know, where it should go. He then gently, or, or maybe the sound of Crackers Keenan <laughs> saying shin bonus spirit, spirit with an echo. <laughs> He then gently tipped the liquid into Cunnington's mouth, careful not to spill of its pre- any of its precious drops. At first, nothing happened. But then Fife noticed the veins on Cunnington's arms and neck begin to surge and glow as the spirit weaved its way through his bloodstream. With a gasp, Cunnington rose back to life. Fuck! He shouted. What happened to me? Where did my hair go? No time to explain. Oh, sorry. No time to explain, said Fred. Which is you know what I love, though, is I feel like I'm inside the mind of Ben Cunnington. I knew that his first concern when he came back to life was he'd notice where did my hair go? <laughs> like, not I've been dead, I'm alive again. Literally, immediately, where did my hair go and how's fishing this morning? <laughs> Caught anything good? No time to explain, said Brad. You two have got to stop the twerp and green before it's too late. He's right, said Fife, as he helped Ben back to his feet. Let's go and get that spirit. 
Racing out of Scott's house, the Draft brothers spotted their targets heading towards the bay, not far from where they'd parked Ben's boat. With their midfielder's pace, they were able to close the gap, but not enough, as Cunnington saw Corns and Graham Glenn aboard a creature he knew all too well before they raced away. Shit! It's no use, Nat. They're gone. Well, we can still catch them. They're not out of reach just yet. They soon will be, moped Cunnington. They're riding a Mako shark, the most elusive beast in these waters. I've never caught one. My boat can't match their pace. It's over. I wouldn't be so sure, said Fife as he pulled out his phone. Aaron, bring the helicopter to my location immediately. <laughs> yes, Mr. Fife, said Andrew on the other end of the line. There's no way to get your chopper here in time, said Ben. Don't worry about it, Benny boy. Young Anthony learned how to fly from the best. Me. Plus, the plot needs him to be here quickly. <laughs> and sure enough, the sound of Fife's chopper blade soon filled the air. The ladder dropping down over Nat and Ben's heads, allowing them to climb aboard as the pursuit ensued. The speed of the helicopter proved to be more than adequate as Corns and Green quickly became within range. Ben noted that maybe, on some occasions, modern technology could be proved to be useful and was strongly considering installing a motor on his boat when Fife grasped his shoulder. This is it, Benny. That's right. Uh, this is it, Benny. It's, just, it's a slight, subtle adjustment, but worthwhile, don't you think? This is it, Benny. Nat shouted over the whir of the chopper. Time for me to go down there and get back your spirit, bro. <laughs> I added the bro. Cunnington looked down and saw that they were now aligned directly above the two men uh, on the shark. Fife went to descend the ladder, but Cunnington stopped him short. I can take him, Nat. The spirit, I can feel its polar power pulsing through me. Those two don't stand a chance. Fife smiled. As much as he enjoyed being the hero, something about seeing his draft brothers step up to the plate in a big moment filled him with immense pride. Ben then began lowering himself down the rungs, his eyes fixed on the Mako shark below. This seemed to be his best chance to catch such a prize, but he knew his focus needed to be on the spirit. Near the bottom, he noticed Green preparing to launch another one of his devastating kicks. <laughs> But this time, Ben was ready. As Green flew towards him, he prepared a signature move of his own. Oh, In one swift motion, he ducked to the side of Green's kick and landed a bone-crunching gut punch that crumpled his opponent as they fell into the water. Now that all remained, now all that remained was the twerp. I'm liking this. This is like the boss, the boss showdown. Who's your money on? I mean, I don't want to spoil it. I want to see where it goes. <laughs> this has been so delightful. I'm actually glad that we took a break from it because it's like you've watched an entire series of a show, but you haven't seen the final episode. Mm. And I've had time to just like kind oh, of forget yes. what happened. Like, and then I'm just delighted by, oh, that's right. He can't remember Andrew Brayshaw's name. <laughs> like it's been delightful and I almost don't want it to end. <laughs> Cunnington reached out and hoisted corns off the shark. By his shirt, landing a few cheeky jumper punches along the way. Yeah. I love that because he doesn't want to get suspended. Yeah. <laughs> He's holding on to his jumper. Just a couple of jumper punches to the guts. <laughs> he then tore the briefcase containing the spirit from Korn's hands, the ex-footballer being no match for the strength in the modern mid. Before letting him fall, Cunnington pulled him close for a final word. Twerp. Cunnington then let Corns fall into the water as he then returned to the cockpit, triumphant. Whoa, you did it, Benny, man, you did it, said Fife as he hugged Ben. If there was a Brownlow medal for taking back Shinbone's spirit from greedy AFL powerboard members, I would probably win. But you would come a close second. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Nat. <laughs> uh, let's, get it, let's just get it in the... Boom. Cunnington cut his sentence short as he gazed towards the horizon, towards the direction they were headed. Andrew was flying them back to Cunnington's fishing shack, but all Ben could see was a sky filled with long plumes of black smoke. Oh no. 
<laughs> Fife and Gunnington sat side by side on the shore of the beach facing the ocean. Brayshaw was off to the side, making sure all the helicopter systems were still in good shape. <laughs> Silence polluted the air like heavy smoke that had caused it. Ben's once proud shack, his secret library, now a heap of ashes and blackened wood. I'm sorry about your files, said Nat softly. Not your fault. Those bloody powerboard bastards have no shame. Ben glanced briefly at Fife's neck. Sorry about your medal. Looks like you lost one, lost one amongst all, in amongst all the action. Oh, that. I didn't lose it. I broke it in half. Why would you do that? To save you, man. After Green kicked you, it looked like you were a goner. The shin bonus spirit and my Brownlow medal was the only way I could save you, so I broke it. You did that for me? But you hardly know me. We're draft brothers, remember? If I don't have your back, who will? Cunnington looked downwards, feeling guilty for being the reason Fife now only had one single brown low. Yet he could not keep a smile from crawling across his lips. As different as they might be, it seemed Fife and Cunnington had formed a true friendship, something Cunnington wasn't used to having. I know you lost all those files, but that doesn't mean you can't start again, said Nat as he pulled out the, the, the file the power board are giving him on Ben. Maybe we could start our own file collection. It could be called the Fifington Files. Or Kumpf, chuckled Ben. <laughs> he reached across to grab the file, but accidentally brushed his hand against Fife's. Although maybe it was an accident. Maybe there was a little room in the story for some romance after all. The end. Epilogue. I was going to say, firstly, greatest story ever told. <laughs> <laughs> Back at the AFL Powerboard... So this is probably the post-credits scene, I yeah. think, if it's a Marvel movie. Back at the AFL Powerboard's headquarters, Chris Scott is called into Gil's office. Inside, all the lights are switched off as Gil stands facing a large blank screen. Chris nervously approaches. You called me, sir? Asked Chris. Yeah, I did. But it's not me who wants to speak to you. It's the boss. Gil, I swear, I didn't give Brad any information. I would never betray the board. And it's not me. You have to convince. Suddenly, the dark screen comes to life, revealing a man sitting on a large chair in front of his window. Behind him loomed the unmistakable structure of the Eiffel Tower. And from his mouth, a thin trail of cigarette smoke rose. Well, well, well. Christopher, Christopher, said Marc Lacroix. Tell me, why have you betrayed me so? Credits roll. Limp biscuit coming. Keep rolling, 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 rolling. Keep rolling, rolling, rolling. So that brings to an end the Cunt Oranges by Angus Octagon. Angus Octagon. What What an epic Angus Octagon. Thank you so much. Apologies if it took so long to get to you. We're back, baby, doing Two Guys, One Cup. Uh, you probably know that because it's in the Two Guys, One Cup feed. But um, go to tofop.com to check out more of our great podcasts. How do we sign this off? A play on, not 15. Ball? <laughs> wow, it really is a topsy-turvy world. We are Two Guys, One Cup.